A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Bradley Wiggins show by Eurosport in association with Lacquer. Bicycle insurance powered by the community. Welcome to the Bradley Wiggins show by Eurosport, the home of cycling. I'm Graham Wilgos, and on the day we saw Richard Carapaz win the Giro d'Italia, our own Grand Tour winner, it's his show, Sir Bradley Wiggins. Wafafu. I'm here. Wafafu. Wafafu. Good, I'm glad you're here. Sorry, I'm just being um, silly at the moment. I'm meeting Harry, but that's fine. Uh, dizzy on Liverpool's Champions League. I didn't win watch last it, night, unfortunately. Maybe. I've had a lot going on. I caught up with it all this morning, and it was, yeah, superb. Also with us, the presenter of Yuri Sports Grand Tour coverage, Orla Shenoui, just about keeping it together after, yeah, th- after three weeks. Yeah, I think I am. Yeah, still here, still with it. Fronting it up for us in the studio, mm-hmm. three weeks of the breakaway. It's been brilliant fun, yeah. I feel like we've all survived it. It's, well, it's been an awful lot of fun. Thank you for joining us. Thank and you. also on the breakaway and in the studio this afternoon, Daniel Lloyd. For Dan. the first time, yeah, privilege to be here. Oh, so right, welcome, man. It's a privilege to have you. You'll get a good, uh, you'll get your, take your goodie bag on the way out. Um, <laughs> I've already snuck one free into the lager, bag, Harry <laughs> Like Orla, enjoying the Giro from Felton. Yeah, no, it's been yeah. brilliant. I've really enjoyed the new format of the show, and thankfully we've had decent feedback on it as well, which always makes a difference. It does. Um, so, first Grand Tour of the season is over. We've all enjoyed it enormously. How do you feel, though, after, as, and I'm going to ask you this from a, a rider's point of view, let's start with you, Brad, as well as a, a, a journalist's point of view for, for you, Orla, and Dan, you sort of straddle, straddle the, the two sides of it for us. Brad, three weeks, you're, you're institutionalised, you're in this bubble, you're, everything's done in a certain way every single day, you know what to expect, you go down from the, the point you go down to breakfast to when you're going to be riding, you've got your itinerary for the day, you know when you're going to get a massage. How do you deal with that sudden change of, hold on a second, it's all over? Yeah, I mean, you can't wait to get home. Everyone's sort of had enough and you're sort of sick of sharing a room with another bloke for three weeks. And obviously you want to get back to your family, your kids and that. But when you do get back and the joy of being back, you do find yourself kind of missing certain elements of basically having everything done for you. Mm. The only thing you don't miss is the suffering and the rain and potential of crashing. And But you might try and keep on your bike and just do an hour. You don't want to do any more. It's, it's, it's a mental rest more than anything. But you do find yourself coming back and thinking, oh, I want my massage this afternoon. You know, I wouldn't mind coming down to breakfast and having that banana stuff we have on the porridge. You know, and you kind of sort of cheekily find yourself going, you haven't got any crushed bananas by any chance, have you? And just <laughs> and, and trying to sort of be a bit manipulative like that. You end up disrupting a routine that's been built there. So you, you might try and help out. You might t- take the washing out and put it in the dryer. And you put the wrong pole back in the dryer, the wash and, and turn it on. And it's like... You get told off because it's like, no, that, I wasn't going to wash that one yet. That one's been done. And you kind of end up disrupting a routine that's been built from your wife and that. And you were saying that early, weren't you, Dan, that sometimes you feel like you're in the way, don't you? Kind of. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yes, both sides of it. So I think, you know, as, as a rider or even a journalist on a grand tour, you're in such a big bubble and you sort of forget about everything else that's going on in the world, not your own family, of course, but you don't hear all the news and stuff. And it's just all about this one race, whichever side of the you're on as a journalist or a rider and then that is the, the, the last day is a weird one because you sort of build up to that last day like I've got to the finish now 
And often there's, you know, there's a few beers in the evening, a bit of a party or whatever. But the following morning, already half of it or more is dispersed. And, it's, and all of a sudden it's just the, the routine's disrupted. Half the people aren't there anymore. And you just actually, well, I'm just going to get on a flight home now. And, and it's so huge. It's not just the teams and the, all the entourage. It's you know, the barrier people and the caravan that go before the race. It's such a huge thing that just goes around this country. And all of a sudden the next day it's just gone and you don't sort of know where you're at. And, and then you go home, which you're really looking forward to doing. And like Brad says, you sort of disrupt the organisation if you've got a family that you know, your wife's put in place to sort of cope with stuff whilst you're away. And so you're kind of trying to help. But you're like, well, yesterday I was in, in this bubble and now I'm sort of sat at the sink washing out, stood. Actually, I stand yeah. at the sink. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes, sometimes do put a stool there, but like gen- generally stood. Yeah. I mean, you just think like three weeks of mail. And of course your wife handles all the mail and the bills and this, that and the other. But some mail is for you that and things that need doing. Yeah. And you've kind of, if you left your normal job for three weeks and had a build-up of mail, people start to wonder where you were. You know, or if you could just get back to us about that, you know, have you seen that letter I wrote you or email? I don't check emails anytime, but these riders have a normal life outside of cycling. And it's easy to forget that when we're watching it. And they go back to that normal life and the fridge is empty. So a lot of the riders that don't have partners, that live in Girona, Andorra, these places, young lads, Chad, you know, I don't know if he's got a partner, I don't know, but... Some don't, and they go back to their apartment, and the fridge is empty because for three weeks. So they they'll get back Monday or maybe tonight. No shops are open, so the thing, first thing they got to do in the morning is go. I'm, get, I'm going to have to get some milk, bog roll, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> and it's like you come crushing down, didn't you? So back down to yeah. kind of earth and, and domestic duties. But I think even when you're not on your own, you can end. You know, when I only did the tour once, but when I got back from that, or both the the jury that I did, it was rain, and then just Ralph, my older son. Jude wasn't around yet. And so I think you know, either the day after or the day after that, after I got home, Lorraine was back out working and, and Ralph was at school. So you literally go from this, this circus and then you're back with your family for a few hours and then, then you just sat, sat in the house on your own. Orlo, you've been doing this more or less for the, the last three weeks anyway and having to slot back into family routine before flying back to London to front our coverage for us. How have you found it? that in and out of, of one routine I find to the that next. in and out really weird. I mean, it kind of suits me in a way. I think it, it depends on your personality type. I like being all or nothing, so I quite like throwing myself into work and then throwing myself into home life 100%. But it's funny because it's like Dan was saying, when you're, it's not so much at this year to tell you, but when you're at a race, you are in this bubble and, you, and you're part of this family nearly. And, and as he was saying, it's all the people who put the barriers out and it's all the policemen who are the same every day and it's all the security and it's all you know, the podium girls and, and all the DSs. And, and you get to be, feel like you're, and all the other broadcast teams, that you're a part of this big family and, and it feels like it means something. It feels like it really matters. It only matters in cycling and it only matters in a certain world, but... For those three weeks, you feel like you're at the centre of something wonderful and something important. And that gives you a sense of purpose and a sense of identity. And then you go home. And I used to really struggle with that when I came home off, off a tour to France because I wouldn't be getting up in the morning and thinking, right, what's my story for today? And, and which rider am I going to try to interview? And who am I going to get? And you're running all over the place as a journalist, like literally running everywhere. Your days are crazy. And then you come home and it's just so flat in comparison. And I really struggled with that before. And I've learned to to deal with it much better. And kids help with that because you've got no time to be flat. But it's the same for me. And, and it's, it's strange sometimes, I think, because I'm a mother, I feel like I should feel extra guilty about it, you know, because these guys have left their kids for the three weeks and, and I end up doing the same. But, you know, my son was 
I've got a, a four-year-old daughter and a, my son was four months old when I left for this year to tell you. He's nearly five months old now, you know, and that's incredibly He's got a girlfriend. difficult. <laughs> <laughs> He's nearly moved out. Yeah. You know, that's really, really hard to deal with, but it's it's your career and it's your livelihood. It's what you've got to do. But I was home for one of the rest days and, and Austin, my little boy, was crying and I, and I picked him up and I was trying to soothe him and my husband came into me and he said, no, 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 Warla. He doesn't like being soothed like that anymore. And, and I... I have I to respect that, that well. but I'm biting my tongue. I'm like, don't tell me how my son likes to be soothed. You know, I've only been away for one week, but you have to, so you have to bite your tongue because these people have stepped into your life to facilitate how you're living your career, and you've got to respect how they're doing that. But you come in and, and you, and for me, I want to lay down my mark. I'm the mother. I know what's going on. So you have to just be conscious of everybody. And it's like with the riders. You can only do it if you've got that strong support system behind you. Here's a question for you then. Are you, what sort of hotel guest are you? Do you leave your room neat and tidy? Do you, do you leave it like a rock star? <laughs> I wish I left it like a rock star. Brad. My, my bottle of sparkling water left opened on the side. <laughs> Brad, tell us about how the riders... I mean, naming no names, but you, you don't... Oh, name possibly, names. Possibly, yeah, no, possibly I mean, uh, don't every, always... Some riders are, uh, are very... Um, I won't call it OCD because I think it's disrespectful to people that go OCD because severe OCD is, you know, people say, oh, I'm a bit OCD, me. It's like, no, if you've got OCD, trust me, you've got OCD. But it's it's that it's just being organised. Um, Colin Sturgis said to me eight, 20 years ago when we went to the Commonwealth Games, I was 18, he says, a good pro is an organised pro. And I, I never I never lost that. So I always every rider's got a way of packing his suitcase that he likes because you live out this thing, you just open it up. But you want to be able to find what you want when you want it. So... A lot of riders get little bags. They put all the socks in one bag, a little bit, all their pants in that one. T-shirts there, shorts. I'll use this bit, that cycling kit, that side, casual kit this side. And you want to be able to get anything you can when you can. But some riders, Jeremy Hunt, <laughs> it's an explosion, you know. And it's like, you know, when they blow buildings up and they, they demolish them, that's Jeremy's suitcase. And, uh, you know, he's pulling stuff out, smelling it to see if he can put it on, if it's clean odd socks and things like that but that that's how they live their life they function and and that works for them some people don't want to spend the time folding things up perfectly everyone's got a way of folding a t-shirt up as well not, every, not everyone's like that it's fine but when you room with somebody like jez which i have as yeah, well it's when it's combined and then you've got to live with someone well, yeah, you end up losing things even though you've been fairly meticulous in packing your bag in the right way because jez in his explosion just assumes that when he's packing up every single thing that's not in his bag is his just puts it all back in so you get to the end of a tour and you've got nowhere near as much as you started with <laughs> you haven't always got the facilities you necessarily need as a rider in a in a hotel as well because obviously you don't you don't get to pick your hotels a lot of, no. most of the time so let's start you off with an example if you've got wet shoes after a after a day's racing how do you deal with that well you have to use the hotel dryer hair dryer on the wall you know the one that's quite a lot of them have got like sort of telescopic plastic thing campanile especially ibis novatel product for that <laughs> and there's a way you know, there's plastic cups they provide and, and you can you can balance the plastic cups and every every it's like a a rider's textbook of how to dry shoes and i don't know where they designed it for this by the way but it's got a, a bit of a, a hockey stick at the end so that's just perfect to put in the shoe and, and the dryer comes out the end of the hockey stick if that makes sense i'm trying for podcast purposes i'm using my hands but no one can see <laughs> And you just you basically leave it on for half an hour and go and have a massage, and then someone phones you and you're on the phone for an hour and you think I've left my shoes going on the hairdryer, and your other rider will come in having been on the massage table and they go, it's like a sauna, you know, it's like your shoes have melted or I have seen riders' shoes melt and stuff, but well I've seen the hairdryers melt. I blow hairdryers. The next. Um, 
rider comes along wants to use the hairdryer and actually you've melted it out already so it's not even working anymore yeah. it's quite it's quite a tough task getting it I've found getting those hair the hair dryers that are on the end of those big trunks like I said yeah. if they're powerful enough you need something to wedge behind the actual hair dryer bit so it's actually facing <laughs> into the shoe but not actually just suddenly yeah. coming off the sink and failing that you can obviously stuff it with hand wipes I like obviously um, yeah. or get the little flannels and the towels and, and stuff them in you can tell two riders have left the room in the morning. You know when you leave the hotels at 9.30 and all the rooms are open and it's just a tip, isn't it? Like demolished. They've demolished. Some riders have put chairs outside. Swan years have taken the tables out and put them in the corridor to put all the cereal buffet on for the, for the riders. And it's just it's, it's chaos. And, and there might be six teams on your floor and it's like these cleaners have now got to come in and clean all this up. All the towels are covered in dirt because people have been cleaning their shoes for them. It's like that. Back to today's final stage of the Giro d'Italia, won by Chad Hager, a 17-kilometre time trial into Verona's Roman Amphitheatre. Brad, do we think Chad benefited today from Big Tom crashing out early and somewhere being able to put all of their resources basically behind him today? Yeah, probably. Um, It's funny, Chad could probably go back to the start and do exactly the same race and probably not win the last time trial. The rule book goes out the window it's just such a mix i mean if you go through historically well more in recent times the winner of every last time trial of a grand tour they're not the ones you would expect in a time trial any time that's where people win a grand tour stage unexpectedly mm. there's fatigue sets in riders that are good time trialists just don't compete or don't they just don't do the performance and it's quite often that riders will pick up a stage win through other people's fatigue and misfortune at the end of his Grand Tour. A couple of years ago in this race, actually, Tom Dumoulin, he did enough to get the overall race win, didn't he? But he didn't win the stage. Jos van Emden won it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, if they'd both been fresh, you'd have thought Tom would have taken it. It was like mm. 2013, whenever you were riding yeah. Giro. And I can't remember what stage it was, maybe maybe seven or eight, I'm not sure. But you were right near the near the end. Alex Dyset was maybe start of the day or middle of the day set the fastest time, sitting in the hot seat all day long with his sister Lois beside him. And, and everyone just expecting when you get to the business end of the GC contenders that he would be unseated, yeah. especially by yeah, you, really. And everyone's expecting yeah. that. And he's sitting there all excited and all happy, but face just full of nerves whenever Bradley was out on the course. And then he won, he won the stage. And it makes it all the more magnificent, really, for whoever wins those stages because they are that little bit unexpected. And because it's on that world stage, you know, it's a stage of the Giro d'Italia that they're able to win that way. So, I mean, we were talking about this earlier, how much of a grand tour individual time trial is about your time trialing ability and how much of it is about all of your efforts in the kilometres and thousands of kilometres that come before that. Well, it was a long old wait for Chad Hager today, but we were all looking at, of course, Victor Campanaz, European champion, obviously Brad, our record holder. But do we think he suffered today from you know tired legs at the end of a Grand Tour? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, people say things like, they've been saving themselves for this time trial, they've had an easy last couple of days. They've still got to ride the stage, haven't they? And it's, it's hard for everyone. They're going through the same thing. No one really has an easy run into a tour so he would have been the same as everyone else it's not he's obviously not been riding GC but these guys aren't fresh you know they're just fresher than the guys that were riding in the GC so it may not have changed anything no and if you're Richard Carapaz today knowing that you've just got to go into that time trial so you've got nearly two minutes on Vincenzo Nibali you know that you've got to do a good job but you don't have to perform at your absolute peak well I don't think you'd have thought that you may as well why risk it you know he would have gone out and absolutely destroyed it. 
Yeah. Just giving it a winner is a winner, really, isn't it? Comes that mentality. I ain't got to give it my all, you know. He might not have taken as many risks around the corners and stuff. He would have gone at a hundred percent, you know, physically, power-wise. He would have questioned himself. I was talking about this insecurity. What if he does take two minutes out of me? You're not going to get two minutes. You're battling with this in your head. Because he was so far down in the other time yeah. trials that, it, that it, I don't imagine psychologically he could allow himself yeah. that comfort of thinking, well, I'm safe. Yeah. You know? What if I punch her? Mm. You know, what if I punch her? What if my chain drops on the. You know, all those things, I, probably 30 seconds, I'll still be all right. I'll still. You know, you're not over till it's over. I um, got second 10 years ago in the Giro, last time trial. And I sort of backed off. I said it went easy. I backed off the last few days before it in Rome. And I. I went out, I had a brilliant performance, but it just started raining the last two kilometres. Just at the time I was flying, and I and it was on cobbles, like the really shiny Roman cobbles, the running. And I really had to take so many, I had to back off and, and really slow down. And I was so... It's off at the finish, I can't swear on my, it's my show. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting mixed up with what I'm telling you. Um, uh, yeah, I had to really slow down and back off and sprint into the line. Thinking, and I was so upset at the finish, I was like, but I had the fastest time. No, no, I didn't. No, have didn't the know, I was well happy because my team, your mate, teammate, we were in the bus thing. Why well, you won that stage? Yeah, the Litvi- Latvian guy, Ignatius Kanovalovas, and I and I lost by one second. And I thought, damn, you know, if it hadn't just rained at that particular moment, I'd have won the last time trial because then it did. The heavens opened for the rest of the day, and that's where we saw Menchov crash in pink. Yeah, on them cobbles. And you, you want to talk about anything could happen outside? I mean, the drama when Menchov crashed. Yeah, you remember it's that? Pretty close. The still, panic right, when then. he picked that bike up. It's like I'm going to lose the Giro now because I've just crashed on, in a time trial. I mean. It's never over till it's over. So today, every rider would have been in that concentration zone. And when he's crossed the line, then it's over. Well, Carapaz took two stages on, along the way to his overall win. He led the race from stage 14 onwards. Danny never really looked in trouble, did he? No, not once. I mean, the stage where we had the biggest indication, really, of what he was going to be capable of, really, for me, wasn't the first stage win where he jumped away and beat Caleb Ewan. It was the stage that Zacharin won, and the reason I think it still wasn't in our consciousness too much is because there was so much going on. There weren't enough moto cameras to follow all of the different riders. So you had Zachary in front, Nieve just behind him, the motors were focused on them. Then you had Mikel Lander that had gone on the attack behind them. Then you had Roglic and Nibli looking at each other. And so there wasn't even a camera on Carapaz, but actually I think he went up that climb faster than anybody did. And it was easy to sort of not realise how good he'd been that day. If you started looking at the time, you think, actually, yeah, this guy's flying. But you know, that set the precedent for the rest of the race, really, because he was never in trouble on the climbs. Was it a little bit like Leicester winning the league a couple of years ago, Ola? In that they, when they went into top spot, and not really. it was a bit like Carapaz. I feel like that, but <laughs> <nothing> like it. <laughs> and then we're all going, well, they're going to fall away, they're we'll going to fall away. Yeah, but I, I mean, I don't think it was just because Leicester is such a surprise. I think that it's our fault if we weren't paying enough attention to Carapaz you know he finished fourth in the Giro d'Italia last year he took a stage last year okay he's he's still relatively new on the European scene he's only 26 years of age but we were all focused on Landa and Nibali and Roglic and Simon Yates that's that's I think a reflection on us or anyone watching rather than it is on Carapaz because it's not a huge jump to go from fourth to first and even when he took the pink jersey on stage 14 I'm now baffled when I look back because hindsight is twenty twenty, but for days after that we're still talking about when Nibali or Roglic are going to get that jersey off him and how long he was babysitting it for almost mm. for Mikel Landa and it makes fools of all of us really because in hindsight we can look back and say well you know he has been in that pink jersey for such a long time and it's only the last couple of stages that we say oh actually yeah what a worthy winner he's wonderful but you know that's that's the beauty of Grand Tour racing because you can never 
focus your attention too much for too long on anyone before another one comes from the sidelines, you know? So Brian Smith said he knew that Carapaz was <laughs> going to win, I think. Brian knows everything. <laughs> yeah, he does. I had never heard of him, really, because I, I haven't followed cycling that much the last year, year or two. I only know the riders that were sort of racing when I was around. So I hadn't heard him until he won that stage where we saw Caliburn get his timing wrong, you know. Um, and I, when he won that, I never expected at that point that he would go on to win this race. Mm. Well, he confirmed it this afternoon. Here's how Rob Hatch called it for us on Eurosport. From high in the Andes to the top of the world, Ecuador is about to have its champion. Just over 100 metres to go. Pretty in pink. And he's going to pull on the Maglia Rosa to finish this Giro d'Italia. In the city of Romeo and Juliet, the Latin American love story with the Giro d'Italia continues. Richard Carapaz wins the 102nd Giro d'Italia. And for the first time in five years, Movistar have the title back. Paula, Movistar's first Grand Tour win in five years. What do we think made the difference for them? Um, it's funny because this question has been asked of Max Chiandri quite a lot and he keeps saying well you know I don't want to put too much value on the importance of DS's and then he'll move on to something else but he's just thrown that idea your way hasn't he? he's planted the seed but obviously he's come to Movistar this year and you've got to look at what the differences are because what they're, they've done so successfully isn't anything new to them they've tried to do this at the Tour de France the last couple of years they've come with two three pronged approaches and it's just never worked, whether that's because Sky at the time were able to do it better, who knows, but we may well look at the ins and outs of of the team and their strategy and whatnot and discover that Max Chandry has made a big difference, but he certainly seems to have done something right anyway. They got their sort of two cards tactic right this time, didn't they, with Mikel Lander? Uh, well, yeah, they Karen did, has. but it's just a different beast. You know, if you had Primoz Roglic at 100% and he had the backing of Team Ineos behind him, then it, it would have been a very different race. They could have tried their two-prong attack and it would have been the same as Quintana and Valverde at the Tour. It's just, it's just a different dynamic. You know, mm. There wasn't that one team who just set this massive tempo and, and keep their leader into the in the leader's jersey of the race. But the kind of wars, that was movie star. That's what well, yeah, they the did, end, but yeah, with but fewer but numbers yeah. than we usually see with Sky, isn't it? Yeah, you're right. and then, you know, So that's why Nibali's attacking and, and Angel Lopez attacking didn't work because Carapaz and Lando were strong enough to go with them so you know there's no point in even continuing with the attack after that point but it's just it, 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 I wouldn't say they've changed too much it's just one of those things that it's been a slightly different race and they've you know had two riders at the top of their form and it's worked out for them I wonder how things would have been different if Bernal had ridden mm. the Giro and where he may have fit into all this yeah, I, don't, I, would, I wouldn't have I still don't see that Ineos would have ridden in the same way that Sky do it at all. I don't think no. they Well, that's what I was that. going to ask. I don't think they're the riders too. Well, no, exactly. Yeah. The team is so very different yeah, was, to any yeah. of the teams they bring to the Tour de France. And it's not even that it was, you know, it's not to say an A team or a B team, but it's so radically different and so much younger that I'm not sure that they would have even tried to ride it that way. No. It just felt like that they were going to try to do something very different for them anyway. If, if yeah, but him as an individual, I don't know how that would have mm. fit into where he'd have come in that whole two-pronged attack thing and in I the think middle it, of it. Him being in the race would certainly change the ra- way yeah. the race went because he's just such a talent on the climbs. Isn't he? And Dumoulin as well. And these are where the regrets set in, you know, yeah. at the race that it could have been if we had have had more of these you sound disappointed with the favorites. race, all Well, I think we all are, though, crap. aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> it's not been a bad race, yeah, but, but because it's, of it's not been a vintage race. Oh, I think it, ha- yeah, it has to be built that last week up so much. Yeah, but that is, and not I, a single summit finish or decent mountain in the first week. 240k stages and... You know, were they just shattered by the last week? 
and it was just well the, they were because we were waiting for yeah. these attacks and we kept wondering yeah. if they were neutralising themselves for a final attack to come there was no final attack because they were on their knees it was brutal brutal well, well yeah and we're never going to get these three weeks back in our lives now <laughs> so what but we've had a lot of fun how is this win going to change Richard Carapaz's life, Brad? You've won a, a grand tour. In, in seven years' time, he could have his own podcast. Yeah, I think it, <laughs> it'll change your life from where you've grown up. I don't think it'll change his life wherever he goes back lives in Europe. You grow up in the environment you grow up in. You're used to that environment. You're used to the, the, the people, the, the places, the characters. When you go back into that environment, they treat you differently. And that's when your life changes. If that, if that part of your life changes, then great. If you're a... Grand Tour winner, and you live in Monaco, you go back to Monaco, other people will recognise you, other celebrities, other stars, other cyclists, but you're all treated the same. Your life won't change that much because that's what life's like there. Then he goes back to Ecuador, to the little village you grew up in. That's where your life changes. So, you know, for Geraint, his life won't change in Monaco, but his life will change when he goes back to Cardiff. You know, mine changed when I went back home, and then I want to get back to normal life, like we've been speaking about earlier. And I go to the co-op to get a loaf of bread and some milk with my son, and there's a paparazzi outside, and people in the queues and things are looking at you and going, "What, what are you doing in here?" And you know, and, and so your life changed because your normality has been affected by this. So that's life changing. I don't mean you can buy a Ferrari, got loads of money. It's not about that. It's about the simple things you do in life that you can never do again the same way. Do you ever regret that? And I don't mean not moving to Monaco or keeping your base in the UK, but do you ever regret that that was the case that you weren't able to find a sense of normality in everyday life? No, I don't. No, I wouldn't change it. It's just part of life. I actually feel a better person now than I did then. So I, I, that's due to that. I'm thankful to that. I see the positive in it. Is Simon Yates the exception in that yeah. he really hasn't changed his, or, or, as far as we can see? Winning the down to earth lad. Yeah. You know, no nonsense. Not interested in being on Question of Sport and all that sort of stuff. Lives in Andorra. His life wouldn't have changed much. He can actually go back to Berry. They won't know who he is, probably. Well, this is exactly you it. Know, so, so he could go home and... Yeah. Uh, He's not yet got that profile. It, okay, the Vuelta, you could say. The Vuelta didn't the third, have any the, impact the three in the UK tours, last year. And they we, did a piece on North Because we've been spoiled. <laughs> no, that's what they did, yeah. Yeah, but we, have, but we have been spoiled. I mean, today is the first time that we've had a non-British winner of a Grand Tour since Dumoulin 2017. Yeah. So you had nowhere to hide whenever you won, Bradley. You were you were the first, and, and it was a Tour de France. With Simon Yates, we've already had... Froome winning multiple times, then Garrett Thomas winning the Tour de France. So he's one of, of a line, and that's not to in any way disrespect the level of his achievement. But it just doesn't stand out in the same way that a, a Tour de France has stood out in the past. You know, mm. Garrett Thomas would be a much, 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 as big as he is now as a name and, and in terms of his fame, it'd be much more if he'd done it before Bradley Wiggins. You know, so it, it all depends on the historical context. We'll never have that moment again, I don't think. You know, I remember when the sky started and Dave said he wanted to win the Tour of a British ride. I was honestly there thinking, well, that's never going to happen. I'm an idiot. <laughs> yeah, I, I honestly didn't think that that would ever happen. Nobody you know, did. I was, yeah. And then to have that happen on the same year as the London Olympics and yeah. then go and win I a think that Olympic was goal, wasn't it? It was, it was timing, I think, more than anything for me. Anyway, because off the back of it, we had London. Yeah. What a platform after that, you know? Second on GC overall then, Vincenzo Nibali. Danny put up a good fight. Couldn't quite reel in Carapaz in the end. No, and there was nothing he could do about it. But for me, that second place cements even more just what an incredible athlete and, and cyclist and ambassador for the sport in his own country he's been, really. Because he's been on top of the sport for so long. I think, you know, 10 years he's been competing for the win 
at a grand tour and he and he's still right up there and people keep writing him off saying he's not as good as he used to be and you know he was up there in the tour last year let's not forget before he had that crash on Outdoers and that sort of wiped the rest of his season out and you think well he's probably not going to come back after that at 34 years of age and it, and he is mm. you know he's a minute and 5 seconds off of winning yet another grand tour his fifth and the, the consistency that he's had over the years, not just in Grand Tours, but also in one-day races, and the, and the two are increasingly becoming separated over as time goes by. I, it, he's just—he's so impressive to watch. You know, he, he just gets it right all the time. He just never seems to slip up. Is this? Have we seen Vincenzo Nibali's last big chance of winning a Grand Tour? I wouldn't say no. Now? I wouldn't write him off till he retires. I thought maybe we had before, but this mm. this Giro—he's come back. And he's been in a. If you take Carapaz out of it, it would have been a phenomenal performance, wouldn't it? Because mm. he would have gone away on the Mortirolo. Lander and Movistar wouldn't have ridden behind. Lander would have probably gone with him. And this would have become a two-race battle you know, between him and Lander. So the, at the end of the day, he had a fantastic Giro d'Italia. In his performance in isolation, Carapaz was stronger. So it made his performance look like he wasn't at the level he was three or four years ago. But he was, and I think it was just that Carapaz, we can't take anything away from the fact... He was by far and away the strongest rider. And Carapaz had that buffer to defend the whole time, so he was able to ride slightly defensively. But what was wonderful about Nibali is he was always attacking. He was always giving it a go, and he never quite managed to drop the main contenders, but he was never giving up. And I remember you saying near the start, Bradley, about he pulled level with Roglic and just gave him a look and then dropped back again. And you said he was probably holding his breath at that stage. He was probably dying inside, but he wanted to make it look like he wasn't even breathing yeah. and, and out-bluff him. But then to see on the on stage 20 in the final climb yesterday, the pain that was written on his face, there was no bluffing anymore. There was no wall built up. This was just raw aggression and, and desperation to, to win this race. And that in itself, I think, should be celebrated, even though he couldn't do it in the end. The way he tried to do it was beautiful to watch. To round out the podium, Primoz Roglic in third spot. Simon Gerrans called it right, Brad, the first pod of this Giro, when he said he came in too hot to this race. After after he won Toronto Adratico, he won in the UAE. Mm. He was the form guy. He was the guy we were, we were all looking at. Yeah, I don't go in for that hot stuff and, you know, too much form and he's, his form dipped off and all that. Grand Tour racing, I mean, it is what it is. You know, you can't hold... I don't know. He He's had tr- adversity through this race. He had no team support. His team directs were preparing idiots in the car behind. You know, he had no guidance from that point of view on the radio. He had everything going about. He's only been riding a bike five, five, six years, you know, and he's, 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 he's warmed so many people's hearts. He was this sort of fantastic athlete robot that gave these cold, unemotional interviews. But we've slowly fallen in love with him because of his, his shown vulnerability. And he showed an interview again, you know, I always come back to these interviews a couple of days ago where he was smiling for mm-hmm. once because the guys were shouting his name behind all the, the supporters. And he just, he was very philosophical very upbeat and I just think suddenly then he showed like the human side of him and I think that's where he's done m- more for his support in this race than, than any other race before I think Dan this past three weeks Brad's had a bit of a, a dig at Ali Engels uh, for what he should or, or should not have been doing for Primoz Roglic it's not a dig it's a criticism well same criticism, thing criticism yeah, uh, uh, yeah but it's digs like a sort of like I say it's derogatory but it's like come on, this is what I do whereas criticism is fine <laughs> <laughs> I'm not well, criticism can be constructive. No, I because guess, it's like, you know, they don't call out, they always call the riders out. No one ever calls the DSs out. They're beyond criticism. 
and and he let him down mid race. Yeah. Well, he... I mean, actually, Tom Sutherland made a good point to me yesterday that he thinks Ali Engels is a really good sports director, and actually the difference might be that he's just not as comfortable when a camera's shoved in his face. <laughs> but what about we get though? Is that forgivable? Yeah, the urine stop. Oh yeah, stopped. no, no, you, you're right from that That's point of view. But you know, I think half of yeah, that was. You know, there's no forgiving what they did there. But in terms of the motivation that he's been giving him from the car, or whatever. I mean, I... but then he said on the TV, "What can you say to this guy in this moment?" I mean, I don't know. He's getting drop, mate. Same. You're doing great. <laughs> yeah, I don't <laughs> know. I mean, maybe he is, maybe he is no, exactly. I, we, that we in responded the to his interviews. You know. Yeah. What, what do we make of that? Well, he seems. I mean, from, I mean, I could only go on his interview, and even when they stopped for a wee, we had the footage of him coming back in the car. And he was like he'd. Uh, right, I don't know. He just didn't. He? He, he he didn't say God. Right, we're on our way back. We've had a few problems. Actually, something. that's a good point. If he's, he bad, if he's bad on camera, they've got cameras in the car. Yeah, maybe the instructions weren't great there either. In the street, <laughs> they didn't say that. They didn't say that. We said, look, we're coming from behind. We're quite, quite far back. You know, you know, I think, but they were panicking. They didn't want to tell him. It's a bit like lying, going, who's eating the cake? Well, they it's they like, didn't tell the journalists when no. they first crossed the line, did they? Like, there was a couple of interviews, I think, and it was only when a Dutch mm. journalist sort of started to delve a little bit further. They're like, actually, yeah, there were cameras in the car. We, I think we're going to have to let them know. We stopped. <laughs> well, why did Tom think he was a good DSM? What was he basing that on? Uh, he, didn't go, he didn't go into too many details. <laughs> well, I'll have to get him on another podcast and find out why he says that. Yeah, and it's not his personality. I mean, we're not mm. criticising the person, but you do, what that job you're supposed to be doing for that person, based on what we've seen... It was poor. We've got to mention the Brits as well. Simon Yates obviously lit it up last year. This year, big expectations from this room as, as well as the, the wider British public. Didn't quite happen for him, Brad. Now, me and Dan were talking about it earlier in the green room that um, th- there's got to be something. There's got to be an underlying issue with him there somewhere. It's just Simon hasn't said anything. He couldn't work it out when we saw the interviews this morning where, you know, he's, been, he's disappointed and I thought I was going to do better than I have. Um, and I obviously was back to myself at the start. You know, he's not gone back on that and saying, well, actually, I had a cold at the time. And, you know, he's not, there's no excuse. He's not made one excuse this race as to what he, why he's formed. He's battled on. He's had good days. He's had bad days. When we thought he was going to slip right away, he's jumped back up. Dan, you said he's just, th- th- there's got to be something I there think, that yeah, we don't I, know I, about. When we say, when I say issue, I wouldn't say nothing in his head or anything. I think sometimes you can feel absolutely fine and completely healthy off the bike, but there's just something in your body that's, not quite right, like an underlying virus or whatever that just takes away because he was consistently like three or four percent below where he should have been. Mm. You know, there was a there was a period I had in 2011. It was different for me. I was like, well, I should have been 100th there. I was 140th. <laughs> but there was a period of, of a few weeks of training where I I just couldn't get anywhere near the numbers that I normally do. I felt absolutely fine off the bike, but when I got on it, when I should have been doing 380 watts, I was doing 350 and struggling. The docs couldn't find anything, and then all of a sudden, one day I just went out, and I was like, "I'm absolutely fine again now." And Cav had this, didn't he, last last couple of years? And Chris Froome had it a few years ago with this sort and of. And it was always a virus. Mm. It, Dan's right, you know. So I, I'm I'm saying hoping there is something wrong with him because now that will I, explain it. This, I'm 100 percent sure. I, I there is a there is a chance that you don't know that there's something wrong. I don't I mean, need to worry at all. I don't. So I'm going to get a blood not, test. It's not a. <laughs> you know? It's not a mental weakness or anything. It's just no. an underlying issue, and it'll sort itself could out. It, could it be a case, perhaps, of you know, you're in Simon Yates' position coming into the Jero. Everything is going well. You've got good power. You're happy with your mm. form, and you just try and tweak it just that little bit more. And it's it's that last little tweak that just sort of upsets the balance. Maybe, but I don't know. I don't. I don't think so. When we saw him in the prologue, he was brilliant. Mm. That's the first indicator. I mean, I don't think so. No. It was only when it came to the second time trial, really, that there were signs of any problems. I would say the one thing about Simon Yates, though, was that 
while we've been critical about Jumbo Visma and and maybe critical is the wrong way to describe it, but certainly having a dig. Uh, having a dig. But Primoz Roglic, through no fault of his own and through through no fault of the riders that he had around him, but he didn't have that team on the road that he would have needed. I think in contrast to that, Simon Yates is clearly on the right team for him. You know, whenever he was showing bad form on that second time trial. It was clear from how the team was riding in the next couple of days that they still believed in him. They were still riding for his GC ambitions and they weren't going for stages until much later in the race. And I think that says a lot probably about how how he conducts himself among that team Mm. as well. He's clearly taken on that mantle of being a leader because only a leader will be believed in that situation. Mm. So I think there's some sort of a symbiosis of relationships in there that works really well between him and Matt White and, and all of the team together. So you know, that would give you confidence that whatever it is, they'll work out somehow or other. Yeah, and Whitey's good for that. Whitey's positive, positive, positive. And we spoke about how some web lost Tom Dumoulin and they kind of all sort of gave up, If would you say that? I know he won the time job today. And how easy it would have been the t- team and Simon, to, uh, when Simon cracked in that mountain stage, to just say, it's over. They battled on, battled on. They got a stage with Chavez. It actually worked out really good for him by the end, didn't it? and sign of a good team because Sam Ullman you would have thought in Sunweb would have taken that opportunity with Dumoulin going mm. to have a go at GC for himself but I heard and, and I can only say this through um, hearing from other interviews that he had said well I came here to tr- mm. focused on helping Tom Dumoulin and I'm not prepared to change that focus now I'm not prepared to take on the mantle of GC leader so in that respect then the team just drops away doesn't it Simon Yates finished 8th overall on GC just outside the top 10 another Brit Hugh Carthy He's Can we have some violin music here? We need some like romantic mood music. My brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We've been seriously impressed with, with Hugh Carthy at EF, haven't we? He just never ceases to amaze me. Just, his, his first thought when you're on the climb is to get to the front of the group and matter how fast it's going and attack. But the impressiveness is when he goes with the likes of Nibali mm. in that because that for a rider of 24 yeah. years of age who's for the first time in his career in that front group Normally, you know, I just want to stay and make sure I finish. I finish with the front row. Nibbly attacks on the Motorola, the hardest climb in the Jew. I've got to go with him. <laughs> you know, and consistently like, the only one who can go with whoever's yeah. attacked. And it's brilliant, you know, really brilliant to see. And his attitude off the bike. He's not interested in 12th place in the Giro. And it's like, got, what a breath of fresh air for the future. I can't wait to watch him in the next race he does. Well, great. What, what can we expect from him? Well, I mean, 11th overall, he did have a couple of... A couple of bad days. I think the day that he, mm. that Zachary won, he lost a huge chunk of time. So, you know, as Brad said, he's only 24. So, moving down a couple of years down the line, and I think it'll take a lot from this. I, I know, talking to Tom again yesterday, so he, he, he always had it in the back of his mind that he wanted to go for GC, but the team were trying to say, well, maybe we should go for stage this year and leave it another year. But he obviously wants to do that, given what he's had in the back of his mind this year. And I think, you know, coming 11th, despite having a couple of bad days, he'll be determined to get into the top five in the next couple of years. And I know we're mentioning Brits, but I think we should just mention very briefly Eddie Dunbar, because I think he has been a similar revelation of this year's Giro. Yeah. No, but I think I think what he's done has been similar to Hugh. You know, he's often been there in the breakaways. He's often been there with the top riders in the world. His first Grand Tour, he only got the call up less than a week, I think, before the Giro even started. To be up there, to be undaunted, coming into it with, you know, so little experience on this level I think is phenomenal he's really been brilliant really strong in the third week as well mm. I suppose, and well. he's coming out of this race with no tan lines <laughs> <laughs> so Bradley was going to ship over some sand to I wanted pay, to just as a little gift. ship over some fake tan for the last time trial <laughs> fake bake I think <laughs> is what you mentioned yeah okay more to come on the Bradley Wiggins show right after this 
Cycling fans across Europe will be able to watch all three Grand Tours live on Eurosport and Eurosport Player, available on the app and online via eurosport.co.uk. Eurosport Player also allows viewers to catch up on all the action on demand. So right now you can relive all the best moments from the Giro d'Italia and then experience Eurosport's unrivaled expertise and analysis during the upcoming Tour de France and Vuelta España. Try it for yourself on the app or at eurosport.co.uk. Welcome back to the Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport in association with Lacquer. So, team, we're recording just an hour or so after the Giro d'Italia finished today in Verona. While it's still fresh in our minds, I just want to go round the table and for each of you to pick out one moment that has stuck with you, one moment that you'll really remember beyond the, 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 the craziness of the three weeks that has just passed by. Orla, you're looking keen on this one. Because it's clear in my mind, Esteban Chavez greeting his parents at the finish line after winning his stage was just a thing of beauty. It's, yeah. it's those p- moments of raw, pure emotion that really captivate me as a fan, as a journalist. They're the things that get you into sports, you know, and I think the longer you work in sport, the easier it is to, to be a little bit more clinical and a bit too objective sometimes. And those are the moments that remind you of why it's actually a beautiful endeavour. And I was laughing with Bradley earlier because it's a sign of the age and the stage you're at in your life. But I'm looking at that and I'm thinking his parents must be so proud. And I can just imagine if if you were his mother, you know, and and you've seen your child go through everything that he's been through with crashes and broken collarbones and Epstein-Barr. And you know how much it means to them. He took an eight-month break, didn't he? So it was a confirmation for him and for his family that he could still do it. He could still be competitive. And and the the tears, the tears that they had. And the more I read into it, and you know, they were the they were the first people to congratulate Vincenzo Nibali when he took Mm. the um, Malia Rosa off their son's back a few years ago, and they went up and gave him a hug. And I just those moments of emotion to me are what get me every time. And I almost cried watching that on air. I just thought it was absolutely beautiful. Lovely. Damn. Anything, anything well, to match that for sheer emotion? On TV, on TV earlier, I said Ciccone's win because the motorised stage was just brilliant. But I'm actually going to say Cesare Benedetti taking his win into Pinarolo, was it? Is that right? I think yeah, so. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Just because, again, it just shows how cycling as a sport can be and that he was close to losing his contract before he gave Brian a call <laughs> uh, <laughs> a couple, couple of years ago. I, I love helped him. him. And, uh, I buffed him, you know. Yeah. Almost, <laughs> I gave birth to him. Almost. <laughs> almost did Brian, yeah. Everyone who wins, he knows him. You know, he's always like... Yeah, he didn't yeah. say that he'd done anything for him, just so that he gave me a call to then got a contract. He runs, yeah. Regardless, he's still racing. And I think, you know, 30 years of age, he's, I've seen him spend so long... In his early days, he used to always be in breakaways at, like, <laughs> Terrain or whatever. And then he got into Bora and he'd spent ages riding on the front. And then, and then he called Brian. Yeah, and then he got a stage win. And, uh, no, it's just amazing to be 30 years of age, always working for other people. And then as an Italian, he can now finish his career whenever. He's like, well, I want a stage of the Giro. Yeah. Brad, what are, you, what, what are you thinking? Well, off screen it was Adam's shirt and the hysteria. <laughs> <laughs> on screen, uh, corpsing on screen. I can't remember what stage that was. Adam's shirt, but um, that was actually my favourite day. Yeah. yeah, Brian was the only one holding it together. The Mortirolo, I think. Uh, Nibali's attack. You know, was this the moment Nibali's going to win the, the Giro? Hugh Carthy going with him, then Nibali catching his brother talking about families and that. How, much, how would have Vincenzo Nibali's mother felt? Her two sons away in the Giro on the Motirolo. Mamma. She's loving it. <laughs> and uh, so that, yeah, it didn't come off, but it's moments in the race rather than the stage at the end of the stage you know, for me. One moment that I just want to dwell on as well, not that it was a particular favourite moment for me, but Miguel Angel uh, Lopez's collision with a spectator and then consequent sort of yeah. fisticuffs. He kind of slapped him across the, the chops back and forth, almost like a musketeer challenging yeah. someone to a I mean, duel. Yeah, at the time yesterday, didn't... I always feel for the rides again brought off by spectators so my initial emotion having watched the stages 
you know, I can understand the reaction in that moment in time, the red mist, I can understand that. And he shouldn't have to be made accountable for that. You can't condone it at all, but it's easy to sit here now and say, in that moment, I condone what you did, because what's he supposed to do? Oh, yeah, I won't do that. We could always see the, con- the contempt in Vinokurov's smile as you say, no, nobody can justify that. Nobody can. And, and it's clear that he didn't mean that. They'd be on the bus laughing about it and, you know, kind of saying, you know, you should have kicked him as well kind of thing. And, and that's sad. And when it wasn't until I saw it again today in the highlights reel that you sort of see it again. Okay, I've seen it enough times now. I think it, it, you realise actually it's not very nice, you know. And I think um, it shouldn't be done. But how you, how you police it and whether to, he should get a, a, a fine for it or not is well, he certainly shouldn't get a fine. He certainly shouldn't get dock time and that. But it, it's just flagging up a problem that we can't even solve can we that's what's so we've seen it time and time again in grand tours over the years yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll be talking about something similar in another year's time i'm sure yeah i think he should be sanctioned though i completely understand why he did what he did and i get at least as angry with the fan doing that because as someone who's watched races from the side of the road i just think how on earth how on earth can you think it's okay mm. to even yeah i don't know if i think along. he shouldn't get sanctioned now i'm kind of contradicting myself because i'm sort of thinking of the process as i'm going through it Maybe he should get sanctioned. I think he and should. And it might stop. Yeah, it might stop that in the future. Yeah, yeah. And, and also I think it has to be seen that that's not okay. We can understand why he did it, and we can well, have sympathy the, for him. But it can't yeah. in the cold light of day, which is what the UCI are there yeah, for. Definitely. They should be the ones to say, okay, we can understand that. So we'll maybe mitigate the punishment in some way. But he has to be punished because you cannot have a sport where it's okay to lamp a, a spectator. It's not okay. It's not okay that the spectator did it either, but one doesn't justify the other. And I don't want my daughter watching that. Mm. I try to get her to watch bike racing, God love her, as much as, as much as she'll allow me to, men's and women's. I don't want her watching that and, and thinking, mommy, is it actually okay to punch someone as long as I'm riding a bike? You know, it's just that simplistic, but I think, I think if, it has to be. If he just actually. flicked the hat off, he'd have been all right. Yeah, 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 yeah. By yeah. chance, he actually landed quite a couple of blows. Yeah, decently. But then it's the idi- idiocy of the... What Harry Cop brought off, isn't mm, it? You know, mm. the spectator wasn't just and that standing makes me there. mad. Yeah, so I think it's a funny one, isn't it? Mm. You know, and you have to th- you're sort of thinking going along how you do it. And you change your view over time as well, but because then you, like you said, Ollie, you know, you have to think how does this look to the broader world? But at the time, at that time, I, you know, I can, I can understand why he did it then. As to the actions and consequences of that, I'm not, I'm not actually sure what I strongly believe in that should be either way. Um, another man who is not opposed uh, or wasn't opposed to violence during his sporting career, Roy Keane. You've compared yourself to him oh, on, yeah. a, on, a, on a different <laughs> note. Pundit-wise, pundit yeah, you said you're turning into Roy Keane this week. How do you assess your, no, but not, not, not your three team. weeks as a pundit? I've loved it. It's been absolutely fantastic working with Orla and Brian and Adam, actually, and, and, and all the GCN guys that have come on and didn't meet, again didn't get me to meet Felix, the guy who came on that other week, you know. But it's been it's been amazing. I've kind of realised how much I love talking about cycling. I've got so much crap in my head that I <laughs> sometimes struggle to articulate it into a, un, something that, un, that understands and translates into cycling. You know, and I don't know if I've managed to do that because I haven't been saying things like, "Well, cycling like Dunkin' Donuts wheels," and you know, it's just I have to try and wrap it up at times. Because I don't really get what you mean now. <laughs> no, I, I struggle to articulate what's in my head. When you ask things like, what do you think about the time trial? Because it's not as simple as, concentrate on the road ahead. 
it's so it's so complex. Well, that's why what we've been able to do, I think, has been such a privilege because we don't we're not trying to condense it into give me a one minute answer on the time trial. We've been able to come back and say, right, okay, explain to me now what the calculations are in your head. Explain to us the pedal stroke and the and the intricacies of all of that. And that's I think what's been absolutely brilliant. I'm not saying this just because you're sitting here. No. But I think that's been brilliant to get inside your head. And I love it actually sometimes when you can see that you're struggling to articulate it because in your head it's clearly all so obvious and so ingrained in you yeah. that teasing that out of your head is a fascinating process in yeah, itself. But that's it. I'm trying to articulate this, but in the side of me I'm seeing these Mexican band with things on, you know, singing songs and confusing me. And then I've got a womble from Wombledon Green doing the floss. So that's all this going on. Head, yeah, this is right. in my peripheral vision, uh, not vision. No, that's blighty. Thoughts. <laughs> and I'm articulating this time trial on the Wombles, you know, the Wimbledon Wombles. <laughs> They're all dancing in the side. So that's why it's so crazy. Anyway, Adam Blythe's what I, what I like about the punditry is cycling, we're trying to change here at U-Sport how yeah. cycling is viewed. And it's so square and there's been such a tradition of how it's going. It's about... Not criticising people, but just sometimes saying... Being honest. Saying what you see. So many people now with social media are just frightened to just say, actually, like I said yesterday, and Andrew McQuaid texted me and said, spot on with Vinokurov. I said, I don't think he actually cares. And I could have sat there and played it safe and gone, yeah, see, Vino, he's saying all the right things there. That's exactly the reaction we should have. Mm -hmm. And it, it just creates this sort of facade that it's very safe. People play it safe, you know. Dan knows that more than anyone. Well, yeah, I mean... But yeah. I mean, most pro cyclists do play it safe. You have to as a cyclist. They're, 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 they're afraid to say anything wrong. But I think if you're one of the very, very top riders, then you guarantee the contract the next year. The next but year. even then, only if you deliver the results. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and for anybody else, it's like, well, if you've got one rider that's always con controversial when they give an interview and one rider that's pretty safe, then at the end of the year, if there's only space for one of them, it's going to be the one that's a, mm -hmm. the safe pair of hands, really. So then, and on social media, I think when social media first came along, riders were like, well, this is great because now I haven't got to you know mm -hmm. deal with a journalist that's twisting my words and, not, and I can say it myself. And yeah. like, a few years after that, then a load of vultures came and put them off even doing that sort of thing. And so look, Rose it's, it's had got... to leave Twitter because everything is interpreted one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah, so it's got more and more and more retracted, really. Yeah, and that's, you know, I, was, I put something on Instagram the other day, but so some woman had said, I love Bradley Wiggins' insight, it's fantastic, but and I don't even like him. You know, I just thought that was really like... It's the ultimate compliment, really. No, yeah. no but I thought that was really like... <laughs> was that a dig or a... Yeah, but it's relevant. It's like, that's society now. And I, I sort of flagged it and said... And I had people message me going, oh, don't let them get to you, don't let them get... I was like, no, no, I'm not shallow enough to let them get to me. It's just that it's a societal thing now, just not say... I agree with that. We have to just get in at the end. And I don't even like you. <laughs> and I'm surprised I like what you said because I don't like you. And like it matters whether anybody so, likes you. But then I started not, thinking, do you, you have to agree with someone to like what they say? But then I thought, but hey, politicians do, you know, mm. we vote for the people we like when we vote mm. in, in politics. We don't, not on their, whatever they're you know, going to do for the country. So it's a societal thing, you know, but I love it. Um, and, well, and this is why we give you your own show. Thank you very much. More, more from which... Narrated by Graham Orgill. <laughs> <laughs> more from which after this. Listeners, it's time to tell you a bit more about our sponsor, Lacquer. Lacquer is a smarter way of insuring your bike and your gear. It's a community of cyclists joining together to save each other money. Lacquer covers all the basics like theft and accidental loss and damage, both at home and abroad. It'll also cover you in sportives and competition races, so long as you're not riding in the pro peloton. How does Lacquer work, you ask? Well, instead of charging you a fixed premium, with Lacquer you only pay a small share of the community's claims cost and your share is proportionate to how much you insure. Lacquer locks in a maximum price cap to make sure there are no nasty surprises, even in months with lots of claims amongst the community. 
And when there are no claims that month, you could even pay nothing at all. Rest assured claims are accepted fast, usually within 24 hours. On average, Lacquer's members have saved 61% on bike insurance. So why don't you investigate the benefits for yourself? Find out more at lacquer.co.uk and enter the promo code WIGGINS to get £10 off. That's laka.co.uk and the promo code W-I-G-G-I-N-S. Welcome back to the Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport. Team, this is our last podcast before the Tour de France. It's it's not long now, so let's let's have a quick look ahead before we go. Orla, what are we most looking forward to from a, from a presenter's point of view? We've seen Ineos underperform possibly at the Giro. Are they going to be as scarily good as they usually are at the Tour? Probably. I don't know if they have underperformed at this Giro d'Italia. They just haven't done what they'll do at a Tour de France, mm. but I don't think we expected them to anyway. Yeah, they'll do exactly what they or they will at least try to do exactly what they've done for the last couple of years. What I'll be really intrigued by is the dynamic between Chris Froome and Geraint Thomas. And unfortunately for them, I mean, I chatted to Geraint Thomas last year whenever he just brought out his book and, and he, he almost regretted even mentioning anything between him and, and Chris in his book because then that's what everybody asked about. And I said to him, well, you know what? That's all anybody's going to ask about at the tour next year anyway. And I do feel a bit for him because... He will be asked about it constantly. I think Chris is more used to it, and Chris has had it with Bradley. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, he's we didn't, a bit never more... got asked about it, me and him. We never ever got asked about it. About, about you and Chris? About me and Chris. No. Yeah, never, never. Six years old, um... still asking about it. <laughs> we'll, we'll come to that maybe over the, uh, over the summer. No, we um, won't. So, yeah, I think, but I think that's going to be fascinating to watch, and it's unfortunate for him that, he, that he'll be in the middle of it all. But I'm really looking forward to that and seeing how it pans out. I can't see, I cannot see, unfortunately, for Garand Ineos backing anyone other than Chris Froome, really. And uh, Egan Bernal in that mix as well. Yeah, I think he's in the mix, but I think he has to come after Geraint. He has to, you know. He's never been a team leader at a Grand Tour. He's a brilliant substitute for sure, but his expectations have to be managed. And Dave Brailsford is the best at managing those expectations. And, and he, you know, he will tell Bernal, you're here with the best opportunity in the world to ride in the service of two Tour de France winners. Learn from that, your chance will come. But I don't think Bernal will will be under any illusion that he's going to be winning this year's Tour de France. Mm. And then, of course, he's going to win this year's Tour de France. <laughs> well, watch this space. Dan, from, from Simon Yates to the Giro to Adam Yates at the Tour, how do we rate his chances? I, I don't see him finishing on the podium. I mean, he's... Uh, he's their, come close, Their though. careers have been... He's been fourth before. Uh, yeah, he yeah, has. Yeah, I don't see it this year. Their career's been quite interesting because every time you sort of feel like in your head that you've established which one of the two is the <laughs> yeah. better, the other one will go and trump what the other one did previously. Until actually last year when you know, Simon was so successful at the first couple of weeks of the Giro and then went on to win, win the Welter. And actually Adam hasn't done quite as much in this last 12 months. But it only feels like a matter of time before he does go up another step or at least match what Simon's done in the last couple of years. And maybe I'm doing him the dis- disservice at the upcoming tour. But I- I'm most looking forward to seeing how how Dumoulin bounces back from his mm. disappointment here because he, for me, I wanted him to focus on the tour this year anyway because he's the one rider that I think has come along over the last few years who rides in exactly the same way that, that Sky like to, or he likes to ride in the same way that Sky do anyway. You know, that steady tempo on the climbs, mm. uses ability in the time trials and I've always thought that he'd be the real thorn in their side. Not, not Quintana that they can contain and not get too far up the road in the mountains, but something like Dumoulin that they can't get rid of in the mountains that is actually as good or better than they are in the time trials. I want a Dutch party. I might go for Dumoulin. They yeah, party well in the streets of Amsterdam and beyond. They just team, didn't they? They just don't have a team that's somewhere. But, um, and yeah, so we were talking about the other day again, how big a rider he is and what he's achieved. And, you know, he's won this year. Was it three years ago now he won the Giro? 
2017. So two years ago. Mm-hmm. And like football clubs, they go out and buy support staff or players, you know, to, to support the success they've already had. They don't seem to have done that. I think they've gone backwards in terms of supporting him. And, and I don't I, know, I, I I don't know if they're don't, letting him down a bit. I think that with the way that Sky and now Ineos ride the tour, I don't think that would matter to him too much. But the, the fact that they've now got two tour winners and Egan Bernal means that if he is, you know, if, if he's still sort of up there and really dangerous to them in the last week, then they've got three cards still to play or maybe just two. It, it's still going to be a big problem for him. But... Um, I really like watching Tom Dumoulin ride. He's so consistent as well. He's a bit like yeah. isn't he? He's he's, won the Giro yeah. two years ago, second at the Giro and the Tour last year. He's a, he's a class rider. He's very cool in interviews mm-hmm. as well, isn't he? which is good. I'd just like to see G back at the level he was at last year to try and win another Do you reckon he will be? This is the thing, you see, because um, it won't be nice watching him, mm. as I know only too well, coming back to a Grand Tour. And I wouldn't say it always happens, but it's happened to Freemax. It happened in 2014. And... It's not nice watching them go through that kind of le- a different level to where they was the year before and struggle. So I hope we'll see in the next couple of weeks see where he's at the Dauphiné. But it'll, it'll be great to see him back going head to head with Froome. You knew him well, Bradley. Do you think he would be happy with? And this sounds ridiculous because it would be an amazing achievement. But if he does end up being in support for Chris Froome, would he be happy with second? On um, top of what he's won he, already. If he, last year he would have been mm. in that final week, and I think he flagged that in his book, didn't he? That mm. Because he was on the form of his life. This is mine to lose now. I'm not going to get dropped. You know, he was that. And I think you could tell he knew he was not going to get dropped. If he knows he's un, he's not better than Froome, he will support himself. For him. Absolutely, he'll like that. He's the most selfless rider when he needs to be. G. So I don't know. I think Chris Froome has got another a fifth tour with him for sure. We haven't seen the form this year that, that gives us a clue that he's going to do that. But he's he's done that in the past. He's been at this stage in the past. He's been at the Dauphiné. And, under form and, and had his best tours with poor form before so you can never underestimate I just don't know but I'd just like to see G back at that level as it was last year Yeah, You mentioned the Dauphiné there which you can watch live on Eurosport and on the Eurosport player Brad at this point building up to the tour now and you've got whichever your, your stage race of choice is beforehand whether it's the Tour de Suisse or, or the Dauphiné where's your head at? Is it everything is now focused on the tour? Are you just are you, are you taking it day by day? Are you looking ahead? Well, I think all the work's done now. Mm. You'd have done all your big camps, your Tenerife altitude camps, had a week at home to relax, and then you go into the Dauphiné. This is your last block of racing, your last form tester, or you know where your form's going to be, you go, or whether you're going in knowing there's a bit more to come. This is your last race now. This is where you're going to try time trial bikes, new bits of equipment that we're going to use at the Tour. It's like a mini tour, so you'll get an idea of others like the Bardets of this world that are doing it. You might run out of uh, riders that are going to do the tour, so they'll come there with you. Because after that, you've got three weeks to the tour starts, so you'll have a, an easy week. You might go and do a little camp somewhere just to keep the legs ticking over, maybe national championships the weeks before. And then the last week, you're at the tour and it's the build-up. So you've essentially got two weeks after Dauphiné just to get your head together. And that's it. So all the work's done now. All the training's done. You're not get, you'll get fitter from the Dauphiné or get race fit, but you haven't got any time to put in the hard yards and specific mm. efforts and this, that and the other. You're not the only improvements you'll make from here on in is a bit of race prep and recovery to let all the form come through. But if you've lacked miles like we said G has because he's had certain issues this year, I don't know what he's done in this period now if he's got himself back. We saw him at Romandy, which was good. And we'll see at the Dauphiné. This is where this is where we get the first indicator of who's going to be up there in the tour. One more name for you, Dan at the Dauphiné, Nairo Quintana. 
What are we expecting from him? Um, Young riders competition. Yeah. <laughs> he's always in it. He's been no, in it for not. 20 years. He didn't, look, he didn't look eligible for it when he was 21. He's always looked way older. He's getting younger. I don't, I, I, I don't see him winning another Grand Tour. I, it, that, it, it can be quite disappointing, can't he? Right. Yeah, I just and also specifically the Tour de France. I, just, I said it on TV earlier. I just the, 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 the gradients of the climbs and the way that they're ridden. You just got to be so much more powerful in terms of your power to weight than anybody else to be able to get away and sustain it. And, and I just don't think that very small climber is going to be at home doing that at the tour as they are at the Giro. So I, I, I again, I don't see him really having much of an impact on, on Froome and Geraint if they're on the same form they've been in recent years. If he wins, can we get you back into the... Well, I mean, I'm sure that'd be clipped up if he wins. <laughs> I've got a history of making very bad predictions, so that's fine. No, I think you're right, though. I do agree with you. Well, we look forward to finding out. Um, right, Brad, we've got just enough time left for our Ask Brad this week. Annabelle Croft, former British tennis player turned Eurosport pundit. She's out at the French Open. Here's her question. Can I call him Bradley or Sir Bradley? Okay, Sir Bradley, I do have a question for you because I was thinking about this the other day. I'm always intrigued how nerves affect sportsmen in different sports. And I talked to Damon Hill about it in Formula One, uh, what it feels like to hold the steering wheel when you're getting a little bit nervous. And he told me about that. In tennis, we get a little bit tight and shaky. So what happens to cyclists? Nerves is anxiety. Nerves is adrenaline, you know. And so basically you've got to deal with that chemical that comes into your body and that creates the anxiety. And it's getting tools from people like Steve Peters to deal with it in that moment. It's the insecurity, asking questions. You say, why are you nervous? Because what if I lose two minutes today and lose this jersey, as I was saying on, on TV earlier? So, you know, you need tools to deal with that. You know, no, when, you, when you start thinking that, back yourself. Think of the process. Think of the work you've done. You know, Shane Sutton used to say to me, nothing's going to change in a week. You just won that time trial on the tour. In nine days' time, you're going to do Olympic time trial. Nothing's going to change physically. You can make it worse by not riding your bike. Just touch over. You don't need to do any more training. Keep it going. So physically, nothing's going to change from there to there. So you remind yourself of stuff like, so when I get to the Olympic time trial, I'm not going, what if, I'm, what if my form's dropped off from the tour? And physiologically, it takes a long time to, for your work to drop off. So you just keep that in mind all the time. And, and no, you did win that. You, you just focus on the process in front of you. Don't think about the things that could go wrong, but the process of your, what you've got to do in small steps in front of you. So if you're going to walk down the high street, just think about how I'm going to go from there to there. Don't worry about the car that might come up the pavement and knock you off. It's all those things. You've got, if you focus, keep positive thoughts, positive focused thoughts, not the negative things that, well, what if a puncture, this, that, and the other. What if I haven't got the power? You will have the power. You know, so that's how you deal with the anxiety and it kind of put it to bed. But the adrenaline will always be running. You can mistake adrenaline for nerves sometime. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because it feels the same. Well, Annabelle, we hope that answers yeah, your thanks, question. Yeah, thanks, Annabelle. Uh, that's it for this episode of the Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport. Thanks to our sponsor, Lacquer, bicycle insurance powered by the community. You can stay up to date with Brad at... Um, yeah, that um, same handle. So we, so we go. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, you can follow Eurosport on Twitter and Instagram at Eurosport underscore UK. Plus, you can find us on Facebook. Many thanks again. We're off to take a shower because it's 40 degrees. <laughs> I'm going to melt. <laughs> Wrap it up. Many thanks to... Not together, I'm off to <laughs> <laughs> Many thanks to Orla. 
for joining us. Orlo, where can we keep up with what you're doing on social media? <laughs> yeah, if you, if <laughs> Please you tell to, us. If you want to follow my mothering over the next few weeks. Fake all the channel. At Sports Orla. Lovely. And Dan, and uh, GC, uh, GCM presenter. Got one or two of them. Dan, where can we keep up to date with what you're doing on GCN? Daniel Lloyd 1. Oh, on GCN. Well, youtube.com forward slash GCN. And sorry, give us your personal social yeah. handle again. At personal Daniel Lloyd one. one. At <laughs> Daniel Lloyd one for Dan. If you need a live sport fix before the Tour de France, before the Dauphiné on Eurosport, we will also be bringing you all the action from the second week of the French Open. And finally, from me, Graham Wilgos, it's goodbye. If you've enjoyed the show, please do subscribe, share your thoughts, rate us on your podcast platform of choice. We'll be back. In July. Well, yeah, we will be back July. the Bradley Wiggins show. I think the first weekend of the Tour de France. So. We will. Um, join myself, Brad, and our special guests then. For now, it's good night from him. Yeah, good night. Yeah. Dan, Orla, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you. We'll see you at the tour. The Bradley Wiggins Show is a Muddy Knees Media production for Eurosport. Even on a budget, Quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.